0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Grit Fitness and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Chris Sanchez, and we're going to pick up right where we left off last time with the third installment of our six-part series of some of the more commonly known and perpetuated uh, health and fitness myths, and today we are on numbers 11 through 15 So, we're just going to dive right into it today, uh, because why not? So, picking back up where we left off, number 11, or one for today, it's the myth and the misconception that squats are bad for your knees, and I think almost everyone has probably heard this at one point or another that if they've got bad knees they should probably avoid squatting or they heard from their neighbors cousins you know second rate trainer that they should avoid squats because it's only going to hurt their knees in the long run and it it honestly couldn't be further from the truth um i think it's 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 a blanket statement when you say squats are bad for your knees. Well, you know, what kind of squats are bad for your knees? Are all squats bad for your knees or quarter squats, deep squats, um, squats where your knees, uh, go inside of your toes squats, where the knees go past your toes. It's like, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can squat that potentially could lead to pain, but not necessarily all of them are bad. So just saying that squatting in general is bad for your knees is like saying driving a car is bad for you because you could get into an accident. No, that's not necessarily true. Squats are not bad for you. If they were bad for you, I don't think humans would be able to do them so naturally and easily. I mean, if you've ever watched a toddler, when they pick something off the ground, they, they drop it like it's hot. and They go into the deepest, fullest squat you can ever drop into. Pretty sure their knees aren't in pain. Uh, probably the furthest thing from it. Um the the reason your knees hurt and why people believe squats are bad is because how you squat is probably leading to pain in conjunction with maybe you've got some mobility issues and you know maybe you've got prior injuries or you know other things like that but we're going to dive into all of those reasons so again if humans weren't meant to squat we would have been weeded out by natural selection way long ago and we would not be the number one most dominant species on this planet Uh i mean like you think about it we're we're born with an ability to do something that's not good for us like why why would that even be a thing like squatting is a very fundamental and natural movement so it's not bad for you um when squats are painful it usually has to do with a few things like i said before how you squat is probably going to lead to issues. So your technique is poor. No one taught you how to squat properly or you just kind of naturally unlearned it from when you were a wee lad. Uh, you probably have some sort of poor or restriction in your mobility going on maybe you have very tight ankles maybe your hips are super tight and it doesn't allow you to drop into a proper squat position perhaps you have strength imbalances maybe your quads are super overpowering your hamstrings maybe your glutes and your hip external rotators and abductors aren't strong enough to prevent your knees from caving in and then technique, you know, we already kind of touched on that one. But if you combine all of those things, which is quite common in, you know, today's day and age for people to have a lack of mobility, be weak, and have shit form when it comes to your squatting, well, of course, squats are going to hurt. You're, you're, I mean, you're piling all these negative things on top of one another, and then you're trying to just power through them. Like, it's, of course, it's going to end in, you know, Bad news for you. So, just for an example, to dive through or take you a, a little bit deeper into each one of those. So, poor mobility. Um, let's say you have tight ankles. So, a, a tight ankle when you go to squat is a very bad thing because your ankles need to bend in order for you to be able to properly drop down into a squat. And if you don't believe me, do a squat without any restrictions on your ankles and then tape them like a football player would and then try to do the same exact squat. It's going to be 10 times harder. But when you have tight ankles just in and of itself, and you have poor ankle mobility, what happens is when you go down to squat, the ankle has nowhere to move, but your body's really smart. So it will find a way to complete that squat movement. So what happens is that your foot will pronate, meaning your pinky toe will turn up towards the ceiling, and your foot kind of inverts. So the inside part of your foot kind of goes down towards the ground. The outside part of your foot will go up. And what this does is it causes your tibia, your shin bone to internally rotate, which will cause your knees to cave inward. And when your knees cave inward, that's going to put a ton of stress on the ligaments in your knees and the joint capsule. Now that in and of itself is one reason why squats may be hurting your knees. But now, if you take those tight ankles and you combine it with really horrible technique where your weight is perhaps really shifted forward onto your toes and your knees are buckling in and your torso is collapsing forward, like you've got a perfect storm for, you know, the, this pain that's going to be coming from when you squat. Um, And then strength imbalances as well. So like if your quads are really strong, they're going to pull on your kneecaps because that's what they attach on your body. They attach at your hip and then down onto your patella. So your quads are pulling on your patella unnecessarily, which is going to cause pain. And your hamstrings, maybe they're weak. Same thing with your glutes. They can't counteract that, which is going to cause discomfort because things are kind of out of balance at that knee joint so take all of those things and you know multiply it by days weeks months and years of squatting like this and it's no wonder you have knee pain you have all these things working against you and then you go to a trainer and they say oh well that's just because squats are bad for your knees like no It's not. Squats are not bad for your knees. You just have so many things working against you potentially. And squats are just revealing and kind of bringing these issues to the forefront in the form of pain when you try to go through that specific motion. So squats are basically just a a scapegoat for the various factors you have going on that could be causing pain while you squat. So if you are, you know, experiencing pain when you squat there are a few things that you should be doing so you know as far as addressing uh, your ankle mobility your hip mobility making sure your glutes and hamstrings are going to be strong enough making sure you have a strong core because that affects your hip um, and pelvis positioning during all this but I mean in healthy individuals deep squats shouldn't hurt your knees um, just because the hamstrings are strong enough to kind of counter act and kind of serve as an opposing force for the quads, um, as you're dropping down and kind of p- coming out of that squat, um, knees past the toes. That's a, that's a myth. If you look at some of the most experienced and strongest Olympic lifters on the planet, they drop into the deepest squats ever. And their knees are like a foot past their toes. Their knees aren't exploding. Um, and you have to take into account too, like Everyone is a little bit different. So you take someone who's really tall, like seven feet tall or something like that, and they have these really long femurs, uh, maybe short tibias uh, or whatever it may be. These tall people are going to be terrible squatters just because of physics and their knees are going to have to shoot past their toes because their bones are just at a certain length. So in order for them to drop down to a squat, like they have to get their knees past their toes. So that's a myth. Um, but I, I really just the 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 thing that you should know is that squats are not bad for your knees um if you do have you know pain in your knees and you're listening to this right now and you're like, well what can I be doing um you know to hopefully to, to fix these issues uh, the first thing is just do some soft tissue work for the bottoms of your feet, calves, quads, glutes, um. Soft tissue work meaning like foam rolling. So, foam roll those areas. Take a tennis or a lacrosse ball for the bottoms of your feet. Um, increase the mobility in those areas. Uh, practice technique. So, you know, one of the things you want to do when you squat is you want to try to practice breaking at the hips and knees simultaneously. A lot of times, people will break at their knees first and their hips don't move. And that causes their knees to shift forward and all their weight gets put onto the balls of their foot. And again, it just makes technique really kind of wonky and that can lead to pain so when you squat try to try to make sure your hips and knees break at the same time try to maintain a tripod foot meaning the three points on your foot your heel and then the balls of your feet if you were to draw a triangle on the bottom of your foot try to maintain even weight distribution throughout those points the entire time as you're going through your squat And try to use a counterbalance. So this is a good teaching tool. I use this with a lot of my clients for uh, warm-up purposes or for beginners. Is as you squat down to the ground, take like a 10-15 pound weight. And as you squat down, push the weight out in front of you. What this does is it will properly teach you how to shift your weight appropriately during a squat. uh, And kind of like reprogram the movement pattern. So when you go to actually squat without the weight, now you're doing it. Properly. So again, squats are not bad for your knees. You have a lot of issues going on behind the scenes that are causing uh, those squats to be painful. Next up, number twelve. Um, there's no room for bad food in your diet. So I don't know if you've ever come across a like a trainer or a healthy person in general who just says that you know food is fuel and there's no room for sugar or anything delicious in their diet because their body is a temple and i just look at those people and i wonder are like if they're capable of love or having fun because like i mean this is just me but like the food is fuel approach to life is like such a soulless not fun way to live your life. I mean, yeah, the same people who say there's no room for bad food in your diet is like, that's like saying there's no room for vacation in my yearly work schedule. Like I'm here to work and be productive, not have fun. Like, come on, like there's plenty of room for bad foods in your diet. And the first thing I would say about this one is that a lot of people probably need to shift how they view food and kind of alter their mindset when it comes to these quote unquote bad foods. So, you know, the 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 phrase and the wording bad implies that you're not supposed to have it, like it's forbidden. It's it's naughty, like you're you're not supposed to be eating those foods. I mean, the only bad food there is is like food that has gone spoiled, or like rotten, or like poison. That's bad food. Don't eat that. That's bad. That that's not good for you. But, um, you know, labeling cookies or donuts or cakes as bad, you know, it kind of puts this stigma on this food. And it, uh, in essence, really just kind of it, it, it's all, it turns it into like a forbidden fruit taste sweetest type of scenario. And you restrict yourself and you restrict yourself. And have you ever heard of the phrase absence makes the heart grow fonder? Well, when it comes to food, absence makes the cravings worse for sure. I mean, have you ever like thought about something delicious all day and you told yourself like you're not allowed to eat it? You're not allowed to eat it. Like that would be so bad. Like it just makes you want it worse. It just creates stronger cravings by, you know, creating this negative mindset towards these bad foods. So for an example, I used to work at Lifetime Athletic, big gym, worked with a ton of trainers, met with a uh, a lot of clients, wide variety of people coming through that place. And a lot of these people were physique competitors, people who competed to look incredible magazine cover ready. And They would tell me about their diets and how restrictive they were, and I'll never forget the one story. This girl told me she was competing for physique or bodybuilding, Uh, I don't remember, but she was like, you know, two weeks out from her competition, and if you're not familiar with physique show competitions... um, Their diet is super restrictive, especially in the weeks leading up to the actual competition. And she told me that her diet was so restrictive for the past however many days that she would have vivid, not just regular dreams, vivid dreams about her eating peanut butter pancakes. And when she woke up and realized that it was not true and she had not eaten peanut butter, she cried. So like, I know that's extreme, but I'm just saying by labeling food as bad, that's what you're setting yourself up for. You're setting yourself up for mental breakdowns and binges. So, when you finally do eat this food, because you haven't had it in so long, you're going to eat until you vomit. Is everyone going to do this? No. Does it increase the likelihood of it happening? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mean if you're if you're fully prepared to have a mental breakdown and wake up in tears because you can't have a scoop of peanut butter, um, keep telling yourself that foods are bad and that you know these foods are off limit. So that's the first thing I'll say uh, about that. The second thing I'll say is that one bad meal or even several don't make up a bad diet. So if you have one bad meal on a Saturday and you really you know outdid yourself you had, three tacos and one quesadilla and four margaritas and you ate your friend's guac because they didn't finish it and it was like you know 3,500 calories in a sitting, big deal. Uh, That one meal, even if it was totally out of control, is not going to mess up your diet. That's like saying I ate one really big salad on Sunday, I am now a goddess of health. It doesn't work that way. Uh, You have to consistently either eat bad or good in order to see these results or negative consequences from your actions. So again, there's no bad room or there's no room for bad food in your diet. It takes more than just one instance of bad food to make you unhealthy. Um, and, and the next thing that you should really kind of keep in mind when you're kind of viewing bad food in your diet, it's that total calories, matters most so in a given day in a given week in a given month whatever however long you want this window to be the amount of calories you need to sustain a healthy body weight matters most so it doesn't matter if some of those calories are coming from oreos and then some from vegetables and then some from chicken some from eggs some from vegetables if your total calories are in check You're not going to gain weight. You're not going to get fat. Now, I will say this, what you eat definitely matters. Uh, You can't just eat nothing but Oreos and keep your calories in check and expect to be healthy. So a, a good way to view food is to look at it like this. How much you eat determines your weight. So how much you eat determines your weight. What you eat determines your health. So there, it's it's kind of like a yin and a yang with that type of thing. So you can't keep calories in check and eat nothing but Captain Crunch and Dunkaroos all day. Like, okay, yeah, if you're eating 2,100 calories of Captain Crunch every day, you might not gain any weight, but you're going to feel awful. You're, you're, <laughs> you're going to feel like a bag of shit. I was going to say something way worse, but I'm like, yeah, people might be listening with kids in the car. I don't want to. I don't want to say that. Um, Use your imagination to what I was going to say there. Um, But total calories matters most. So, you know, as long as what you're doing is in moderation in terms of the quote unquote bad food that you're eating and you're not an asshole, you know, on a weekly basis when it comes to making your food choices, there's absolutely room for Bad food in your diet, and I'll swap out the you know the, the word bad with delicious because no one eats bad food that tastes terrible. It's always it's always good. Let's be honest. Um, so there absolutely is room for delicious food in your diet. You just have to remember total calories matters most. It takes more than one bad meal to make an unhealthy diet, and it really won't wreck your progress at all. So yes, go enjoy that cheat meal. For me, I think I'm gonna eat quesadillas this weekend. Not usually in my regular weekly lineup of food, but damn it, are they good! I'll probably eat like three. Uh, it's yeah, I'm gonna eat a lot of them. Next number thirteen, uh, crunches and sit-ups are the best way to get a six-pack. So, I think if this was if this was like 1993, this probably would have been true for a lot of folks, but. It's unfortunately 2020, (laughs) Um, and we've learned a lot since then. So a quick anatomy lesson on your spine. So your spine is... Uh, composed of these three separate parts. You have your cervical spine, which is basically the the neck portion of your spine, your thoracic spine, your mid-back, and then your lumbar spine, which is your low back. You have seven cervical vertebrae, you have 12 thoracic vertebrae, you have five lumbar vertebrae. So your cervical and your thoracic spine, the vertebrae that make up that portion of your spine, they're a little bit more mobile than your lumbar spine, your low back. So they're they compared to your lumbar, they can rotate, they can bend, they can flex, they can expend or extend, they can move around pretty good. Your lumbar spine can do the same, but it's not nearly to the same degree as your mid back and your neck, those portions of your spine. So, you know, a lot of guys like Stuart McGill, who uh, has done a lot of research on low back pain, uh, they've done research, he's done research, uh, you know, him along with other people, uh, uh, about low back pain. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, but one of the things that they showed was basically that repeated flexion. So, you know, crunches or bringing your chest towards your belly button, repeated flexion turns out not so great for your spine especially when you do it under load Uh, it can lead to a lot of herniated discs and a lot of issues and a lot of low back pain but here's the thing your rectus abdominis or the six-pack muscle it attaches to your ribs the bottoms of your rib cage and then down to your hips your pelvis so when that muscle contracts what does it do It flexes you forward. It does the exact same thing that is probably not so good for your spinal health. But back in the day, what did you do when you wanted a six-pack? You did crunches and you did sit-ups and you did all sorts of things that worked that muscle that brought you into flexion. But now we know that, you know, it's kind of a problem. So what do you do? How do you train that six-pack muscle without compromising your long-term spine health? So what we've come to realize is that training core muscles is best done when the the core muscles, the muscles that kind of attach to your hips and ribs and spine, when those muscles are contracting isometrically, meaning they're contracted but they're not moving, uh, they are resisting movement of the spine, uh, that is actually the best way to go ahead and train to get a six pack muscle so again if you're not really sure what isometric means is flex your bicep as hard as you can so flex your elbow at 90 degrees flex your bicep hold it like you're posing for a picture that's an isometric contraction your muscles not moving but it is contracted and it is flexed in that one static position so when you train your core muscles it's from When you train your core muscles isometrically, your abs, your obliques, your erectors, uh, those muscles are flexed, but they're not moving. They are actively resisting flexing, side bending, and rotating of your spine. So, what does this do? Why is this better? So when this happens and your low back is kind of kept in place, it basically creates a, a nice stable foundation for your limbs, your legs, and your arms to move and create force and you know do actions, basically. And when those muscles are weak and they can't resist movement of the spine, uh, you basically just kind of put yourself more at risk for injury. You decrease the amount of force that you're able to... Um, exert at any given time um, just because, you know, let's say you're going to swing a bat or something like that. You have to plant your foot into the ground and then you have to rotate your hips. So you're pushing down into the ground, you're rotating your hips. And then that force, if you can't kind of contract your spine and your core and keep everything nice and stable, that force that you're putting down into the ground to rotate your hips, to swing the bat, just kind of dissipates and then it results in a kind of weaker swing and that's only one example but hopefully it gives you an idea of why training like that is so important so you know the best things that you can be doing in place of your sit-ups and your crunches um you know things that prevent your spine and your hips from moving so like planks side planks uh loaded carries uh, dead bugs, pal-off, or anti-rotation presses, all of these things force you to resist movement, but you're still working. So that's how you go about training your six-pack in a pain-free, kind of smart, functional manner. But none of this matters if you're too fat. You can't you can't train to have a six-pack and carry around a lot of body fat. So you can train to make those muscles stronger, which might result in some lean muscle mass gain, which will make those muscles more visible. They'll make them pop a little bit more. Um, But if you're truly interested in actually seeing your six pack, you need to make sure your sleep and diet are on point. So take everything I just said about training your six pack. None of it matters. If you're not getting at least seven hours of sleep per night, and if you're not keeping your diet and overall calories in check, you can't see abs if they're buried under a mound of belly fat. So you can you can carve and sculpt your abs by training them, but you can't reveal them um, unless you drop some. Belly fat. So the phrase abs are made in the kitchen is a hundred percent true because you will not see your six-pack unless that diet and your sleep are in check. Number 14. Carbs are evil. So to some people, carbs are the root cause for everything bad that has happened to them health-wise. It's why they're fat it's why their joints hurt, it's why they have erectile dysfunction, they, like it's, it's, it's carbs are just the reason. Carbs are bad, you shouldn't eat any, um, and you should just give them all up. Talk to anyone who is a diehard uh, ketogenic diet fan and they'll tend to agree with that, but here's like, here, here's the thing, if carbs are so evil for you, why would they be so readily available in nature, um, you know, in the form of fruit, vegetables, oats, beans, potatoes, like carbs are, you can get whole real nutritious sources of carbs from nature. Like I don't I don't think those things would be really readily available and quite honestly, some of the healthiest things you can eat from a nutrient standpoint. So, I mean, you, t- you take a look at all of those things, uh, they have um, tons of fiber in them, a high water content, uh, loads of vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, like all these things that do tremendous things and have a tremendously healthy benefit for your body. Like those things wouldn't be available for you to just go and pluck out you know, from a tree or pull from the ground if they weren't somewhat beneficial for you. Um And I mean, like, you know, there's—that's just my opinion. I don't really have any science to back that up, but like, seems to make sense to me. Um, But here's the thing: when it comes to carbs, and you know, uh, an argument against why people think carbs are so bad—carbs, carbs carbs don't make you fat. Calories make you fat. So rewind this like ten minutes when I just said total calories matters most in one of the previous uh, myths that I covered. Total calories matters most. You could eat a a diet that's like 90% carbohydrates and not gain weight as long as your calories are still in check. And quite frankly, carbs are some of the best fuel sources you can give yourself if you regularly regularly participate in high intensity exercise like strength training or um, activities that involve sprinting, jumping, cutting, changing direction, like busting your ass. Um, Like, why do you think Gatorade is such a popular sports drink? It's basically just sugar. You're giving yourself simple carbs to help fuel you through these high-intensity exercises. No one's eating peanut butter during these activities. Uh, You know why? Because it's not not a good fuel source for these events as those simple carbs would be, uh, but anyway, so I th- I think it's important to discuss why carbs got a bad rep in the first place, and in order to do that, you'd have to time travel back with me to like 1991, that's not the exact year, but whatever, it's like the early 90s, um, and people just kind of assumed that fat was making people fat, so... In an attempt to make the nation healthier, all these big food companies and uh, food corporations, they went and stripped all the fat out of the food that they put on grocery market shelves. They stripped them of all the fat, but here's the problem. When they took the fat out, they basically took out all the flavor too. And from the viewpoint of a food company, if the food you're selling doesn't taste good, no one's going to buy it, which means that company isn't making any money. And I'll tell you, you know, the only thing uh, these big food corporations care more about uh, than people's health is people's money. And if they're not getting any, nothing else matters. So what did they do? They stripped the fat and they replaced it with something that could replace the flavor so they could continue to sell food to the consumers. What's the thing that you can replace that will give you a lot of flavor with no fat Sugar, sugar, and lots of carbs. So they put all these simple sugars and uh, low-fat food products on the shelves, and people bought them up, and we got fatter, and we've continued to get fatter for pretty much every year since like nineteen ninety-one. It just keeps going and going and going. It's like the Energizer Bunny, um, but for obesity. Um, and uh, here's why. So when you replaced all the fat with sugar, people just automatically assumed, you know, after several years, well, we took out all the fat, we put in all the sugar, people are still getting fat. It must be the sugar. Not quite. Here's uh here's where everyone kind of got it wrong. Yes, you replaced all the fat with sugar and people continued to get fatter. Um but it's not the carbs' fault. So what happens is that the sugar made the food really hyper-palatable, meaning super delicious. The food is usually super cheap, so you combine really delicious with really cheap. People are buying tons of this stuff, which means it's readily available 24-7, which means you can eat it and eat it and overeat it all the time. So when you're constantly eating, do you know what you're constantly ingesting? Calories which is what makes you fat. So, basically people just kind of overconsumed all these simple carbohydrates and all these kind of sugar-laden foods and they thought, "Oh, well, it's a high carb diet. Carbs must be bad. Like, let's let's demonize carbs." Um which is which is not really the case. You're just eating the wrong Types of carbohydrates. So, like when you eat a lot of foods that are highly processed and they have simple carbohydrates, meaning they're really easily digestible and there's no fiber content whatsoever, and it's stripped of all its nutrients, it basically just becomes, and you've heard this term before, an empty calorie. It does not do a good job of keeping you full and it tastes incredible. So, you just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat, and and then before you know it, you're a fat little turd. so carbs are just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So what basically needs to happen if you are interested in eating carbs, you just have to focus on the things, the types of carbs that I mentioned before: the fruits, the vegetables, your old-fashioned oats, your quinoa's, your legumes, your beans, your potatoes, your rice. Like those are going to be the ones, the types of cards, cards, the types of carbs that are going to be. Uh, very satiating, meaning you can eat a serving size and it will leave you feeling full because of all of the things in it—the additional fiber content, the additional water content, um, and the all sorts of good-for-you things that it contains in there. Now, if you're still kind of unsure, and you're like, "Well, you know, my my nutritionist and you know my trainer with a weekend certification said that carbs are still bad and I should avoid them uh, at all costs. A good way to view carbs is to use a gasoline analogy. So your car, your automobile that you drive to work every single day, it runs on gasoline. Now, if you drive your car often and you put a lot of miles on it in a given week, you will need to refill the tank with gasoline okay more activity more miles means more fuel is needed to keep it going you the human body if you are super active you are expending a lot of energy and you basically need to refuel in the form of um, giving yourself food carbs are a good fuel source to fuel you for activity but like I said again before High intensity activity tends to necessitate carb consumption more than lower intensity uh, activity. So, if you're routinely doing things like lifting weights and doing high intensity intervals and running these long, long duration Um, runs or races and you're constantly just very active and you have a strenuous or very physically demanding lifestyle, you need more gasoline in your tank. So it's okay to eat more carbs. They're not going to hurt you. In fact, they will fuel your performance and make you feel and perform at a higher level if you were not. Now, is that a true statement for everyone? No, not really but it tends to be true for a lot of people. So again, if you are sedentary, if you sit at a desk all day and then you go home and then you sit on your ass all day and you go to bed, you don't need to fill your tank very often. You would be okay with avoiding carbs and sticking more to a higher fat um, diet with probably less than 100 grams of carbs in a given day. If you're sedentary, 0 to 100 grams of carbs per day will be totally fine, you're not gonna get fat if you eat um you know a hundred grams or less if you're active, so you know whatever you you're walking you get your ten thousand steps, but you're not really actively working out too often you'll be fine with anywhere from zero to I don't know, 150, 200 grams of carbs, and then if you're super active, and you're working out all the time, and you have a job on your feet, and you get your 10,000 steps every day, and then some, you'll totally be fine if you eat 150, 200, even more grams of carbs per day. Carbs are not evil, okay? No no one should ever be afraid to eat a carb. Uh, If you're afraid of carbs... It's because you're eating the wrong types of carbs and your carb intake is just totally not matching your lifestyle. So take that, all you carb haters. And then the last one for today. Lifting will make women bulky. Total bullshit. You know what makes women bulky? Eating too much. That's what makes women bulky. Lifting will make you look incredible. Um, So let's dive into why. This myth was never true, uh, still isn't today, and nor will it ever be true in the future. I think the only reason a lot of women who are not familiar with fitness tend to believe this is because of all the media outlets, uh, Instagram magazines, where they you know, can readily show all these bulky women who do CrossFit and whatnot, and quite frankly, they looked more jacked than most men. All these women will see that, and they'll be like, ew, like, I don't want to look like that. Like, that that chick's got bigger arms than my husband. Like, ew, no, I don't want to lift weights. Those girls that you see who looked super muscular, and by the way, nothing wrong with that, those are the outliers. Those are the uh, .01% of women who lift weights who will get those kind of results. Not to mention the women who look like that honestly don't have lives outside of the gym. Their, their life is lifting weights, eating right, and then doing it all over again. Most people I know don't have time to do that. They have lives and they have you know things they want to do outside of the gym. So thinking that lifting weights will make you bulky as a woman is the same thing as thinking that you're gonna win the Powerball if you play a single ticket. Like, no. Have you ever heard the statistics on like winning the lottery? It's like you have the you have a better chance of is it like being attacked by two bears in one day or like being struck by lightning five times in one day. Um, like you you have a better chance of a bilingual toddler riding a polar bear uh mugging you in a back alley than you do getting bulky if you're a woman and you and you lift weights like it's just not going to happen it's just it's not going to happen and i think historically strength training is pretty much male dominated like mostly men are going to be found in the weight room portion of your gym women see this and they see how the guys look big muscly um, veins popping out and they go like I don't want to look like that I want to retain my you know femininity feminine feminism my feminine I want to look feminine still and uh, you know I want to keep my curves and I don't want to look like that so they just avoid the weight room altogether. But here's the thing, males, men, have about on average four to 600 nanograms per deciliter of testosterone in their bodies. 400 to 600. Women, on the other hand, have about 15 to 70 nanograms per deciliter. That's a big, big difference. And do you know what the main hormone responsible for becoming big and bulky is, if you said testosterone, give yourself a big high five and a pat on the back because you are a hundred percent right. So already, just based on our physiology, men are way, way, way more equipped to build muscle than women are. Like ten times more effective at it than women. It's a huge, huge difference. So to put that in perspective, like if I said. <sighs> Uh, I need two people to build a foundation of a house. Okay, person one, I'm gonna give you 600 concrete blocks to build the foundation of your house or whatever house foundations are built on. I, I'm, whatever you know. And then I said, person two, I'm gonna give you 40 concrete blocks to build your foundation on. Who do you think is going to be able to build a bigger house? Like, no question about it. It's going to be the person with 600 concrete blocks. So, like, right off the bat, women, you are just physically not equipped. You don't have the resources to build lean muscle mass as effectively as your male counterparts. So, just knowing that, you shouldn't be afraid to get big and bulky. Um, Just because you... You literally can't do it. You can train the same way as a guy. You can lift hard. You can lift as frequently. You can do the same lifts as a guy. And while he might put on 15 pounds of muscle in a year, you'd be lucky to put on five. Lucky. Absolutely lucky. Um, you. The, the only thing that will happen is that you're going to build up your curves. You're going to decrease your body fat. And you're going to look... 10 times better, you're going to get smaller, you might weigh more, but you're going to get smaller, and you're going to look better, you're going to feel better, and not only are those things going to happen, so your sex appeal is going to increase, but you're going to increase your joint health, so because muscles attach to tendons, which attach to your bones, um, when muscles contract against heavy external loads, they're going to pull on the bones, which are going to strengthen the bones, which is a big deal, Because strong bones and strong joints, healthy joints, are going to be very vital for women because they are naturally more uh, lax. They're more loose. They have more joint mobility compared to guys. So when you have this kind of instability at the joints, strength training will provide you with the stability, which will make you healthier in the long run. So you definitely need that, and strength training does that for you. Not only this, you're going to increase your metabolic rate, which means you're going to burn more calories at rest at any given situation. Um, You're going to increase your muscular strength, which is going to increase your resiliency. It's basically going to make you tougher, and it's going to help fight off and ward all these nagging aches and pains and injuries and whatnot. it's It's going to enhance your life 10 times over, guaranteed. So you will not get big and bulky, If you lift weights, I can almost guarantee you that if you're a woman and you start lifting weights, you might gain weight hundred percent, but you're going to get smaller. It's a very, very cool thing to witness. Uh, And if you're not sure how to do it, just come on over to grit in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and we'll get you started. And I'll even put you in touch with some of the women who have seen great results by strength training, basically only strength training. They didn't do anything else. Um, But Those are the five myths for today. So hopefully you guys were able to pick up on some of them. So just as a recap, squats are bad for your knees. Mm, No, squats are bad for your knees if they cave inward. But uh, other than that, as long as your technique is on point, squats are pretty good for you. And they should be a staple in uh, your program. Um, there's no room for bad food in your diet (laughs) yeah okay right there's plenty of room for bad food in your diet as long as most of your diet consists of good food crunches and sit ups for abs no thank you crunches and sit ups are for back pain so if you want to train smart you got to start doing planks and side planks and carries and dead bugs and pal off presses and all sorts of stuff and make sure that you're not eating like an asshole uh, because you can't see abs if you're fat Carbs are evil. Carbs are not evil. Too many calories are evil. Carbs are your friend, your misunderstood friend. And then lifting will not make women big and bulky. Guaranteed will not make them big and bulky. It'll make you strong. It'll make you look good. But it won't make you big and bulky. So there you have it. Another podcast episode in the books. If you guys liked it, feel free to leave a review on one of the various platforms that this podcast is available on. Um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, there's a few other that I just got it up on, but I don't remember them, Um, so whatever you listen to on, leave a review if you like it, tell your friends about it, Um, visit us on Instagram at gripfitnessandperformance.com or visit our website, or did I just say the website, everything is at gripfitnessandperformance, you just have to type that into whatever you want to find us on and you'll find us. Um, and without that or without that, oh my God, I have my, my blood sugar is really low. I need to eat something. Uh, I'm just going to end it here. Thanks for listening guys.